Ron of Lona the first, the bloodiest queen in history. Right up Sarah's alley. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Broads You Should Know, the podcast about amazing and noteworthy women in history. I'm Sarah Gorski. I'm Jupiter F. Stone. And I'm Chloe Skye. And ladies, I am doing something I think we haven't ever done before. I am doing a broad directly inspired by a previous broad just a couple of episodes ago. And Ooh. and I kind of want to preface by telling the story of how this happened. Oh, I'm here for <laughs> it. Yeah, I would, I'd like to know. So y'all might remember a couple weeks back, we did Rana Valona III, the last queen of Madagascar. Y'all remember her? I definitely do. Yes, yes. I, I listened. It was The Francophile. She loved France. She loved dressing oh, up. Big on she France. loved all that mm-hmm. shit. Every week when these episodes come out, I go and I add the new episode onto our website and add that broad to the broads database that we've got on the website. If you don't know, all these broads are in an awesome database on our website. So I go in and, and usually I also Google around and I try to find some cool pictures and things to include on their page because it's nothing's cooler than hearing about somebody and then seeing actual photographs or paintings and stuff of them. So yeah. I'm like putting in Rana Valona. I'm like typing in my search engine. Immediately what shows up at the very top of the search engine is Rana Valona the first, the bloodiest queen in history. Whoa. And I was like, the bloodiest queen in history? <laughs> like, this isn't the one I'm looking for. And she's the bloodiest. <laughs> right up Sarah's alley. <laughs> right? And I was like, well, I guess I know who I'm doing for the next recording session. I'm going to do wow. Rana Valona the first. But actually, I also found out we've been pronouncing it wrong. It's not Rana Valona. It's Rana Valona. Ooh, so slight. So good to know. Rana Valona. One of the historians who recorded information about her, named Ida Pfeiffer, called her one of the proudest and most cruel women on the face of the earth. Ooh, that is a statement. Which seems a far cry from Rana Valena III, who just loved the yeah. French D. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and who loved France. And so anyway, well, let's, I'm going to dig right in because this story is intense. <laughs> I'm ready. Ooh. I'm ready. I'm so ready. And uh, it's been a while since we had a, a bloody queen, so I it's thought true. it was time. Olga of Kiev is, is a ways away. A ways away. So, Princess Ramovo was her name when she was born in 1778 at the royal residence at Ambomanoina. And these names, some of these names are very long and... I don't, the, the Madagascar words are tough. Yes, they are. Um, so her dad was Prince Andrian Salamanjaka and Princess Rabadona Adrian Tompo. I feel like that was better than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> I'm like sitting here grinning Snaps. at myself. Um, so when Ramava was still a really young girl, her dad, I'm not going to say his name again, but her dad, King A, <laughs> Uh, her dad goes to the king and is like, hey, 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 I heard about this assassination plot. Your uncle is going to try to kill you because he's upset that you previously dethroned him. Uh, apparently, like, dethroning is very common in the, in all of, like, the lineage of Madagascar. Um, so mm-hmm. he had been deposed, and then he was going to assassinate the guy who deposed him. And so uh, Princess Romavo's dad warns him about the plot, and he's like, oh, thank you so much for saving my life, I am going to let your daughter be betrothed to my son 
and eventually become queen, which is kind of rad. Well, okay. That's, yeah, that's, that's big. So Princess Romavo is, is um, betrothed to Prince Radama, this, the son of the king. And he also furthermore declared that any child from that union would be first in the line of succession after Radama. Damn. See, that is how you express your gratitude. <laughs> There's not, there wasn't a lot in the articles I found about her, about kind of her life before that, except that apparently she, she could neither read nor write which I find hmm. very interesting. Did she learn how eventually? or The article that said that did not kind of follow up with that, but sure. she was, not to fast forward too much, but she she didn't like some of the traditional ways of ruling. She like much preferred like dictation and having other people like write down what she was saying, which makes me think that maybe she never did. Right. Um, but I can't say for sure, so anybody can you know write in and tell me how wrong I am. I love hearing it. So at the age of 36, her husband ascends to the throne. His dad dies. And her her husband, Radama or Radama, he was a pretty good ruler and a pretty good warrior. And he modernized. um, Interesting new word I learned is Malagasy, which is what they call people native to Madagascar. So he modernized Madagascar and he specifically modernized the army and he got like a bunch of like newer weapons and and armor and he like really kind of filled out the army to make them more impressive and he was able to expand their territory in Madagascar. So they didn't at this at this point Madagascar is not a unified like a fully unified island. There's mm-hmm. a lot of different tribes. Their part of the country is kind of the most unified, but there are like outreaches. So they're always trying to kind of expand and take over the whole island. And some of the islands are run by the French. There's a few like smaller islands. We'll get to that in a little bit as well. But he so so basically Radama uh, made pretty good friends with the Europeans that were around. Like they were able to provide all this technology and stuff and help them modernize. Um, and he wasn't a Christian, but he was like pretty okay with the Protestant missionaries coming in and building their churches and the schools. And they brought pr- a printing press. And they even actually convinced Radama to abolish slavery, which was a very long-standing Malagasy tradition. There's like a huge slavery tradition, which I thought was really, really interesting because I I didn't know that there was like African-on-African slavery before that. I thought that was really fascinating. And I probably should read way more about that before I talk about it on a podcast. So, but the Christians came in and they were like, yo, you can't do this anymore. And he was like, okay. But everyone else around him is like, whoa, what? All all these kind of traditionalists were very Mm -hmm. upset by that. They did not end up having any children together. So Ramava is not, so she would not succeed the throne because it was going to be her son. It was going to be their son together that would have ascended to the throne. And so as things kind of progress and they realize they're not having children, Radama designates his nephew, Rakatobe, to be the heir when he dies. But Ramava's like not really thrilled about that. <laughs> and she and she starts to kind of quietly talk to people and some of these royal counselors and military man men and is like, you know who would be a really good leader? I'd be a so she's doing it kind of quietly. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, see, okay, I was going to say, like, she's upset, but I don't understand what she thought was going to happen. So she's trying to figure out a way to make it so that she becomes the heir if her husband dies? Hell yeah. 
Interesting. I okay, I see the long game here. Uh-huh. Right. She's like, hold on. It was always supposed to be my lineage, but I mean, for some reason, they couldn't. Could they just not have a baby? Maybe she couldn't. Spoiler alert, she does have a baby. So it was oh. Radama who was impotent. It was him. <laughs> Did he have any babies with anybody? I mean, it sounds like... Not that, not. not that I saw in the articles. So he just had... He's got some bunk sperm. Well... Bunk. He does his wiener did not work. <laughs> <laughs> I just yeah. wanted to say wiener on the podcast. I don't think you've ever said it. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm glad you did. It might be a first. I think you might. I think you should say it more. I, I think I should That's too. Just what, I think at least once per episode Woo-hoo. we should try to slip the it word. It definitely makes me it. laugh. That's for sure. It's like one of the funniest <laughs> words in the English language. I think. Okay, so she starts to make these plans, and in eight, in 1828, Radama is he it gets kind of sick. He has like this downhill turn, and some of these articles. Okay, so here's the po- the moment in the episode where I'm going to say there's a whole bunch of articles out there that are like she poisoned her husband and she did this and she did that and she did all this crazy shit. Well, it turns out like all of the stories are told by the white missionaries who are kicked out by her later. Sure. So there's a lot that's said that's like maybe true, but also like maybe a huge exaggeration by people that were right. pussy with her. So I just want to like put that out there right away in this episode that like I'm 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 sharing the stuff that seems like kind of the more legitimate facts. But if you Google and if you look up and you see all this bloodiest queen and you see all these facts of all this shit, there's a lot of stuff and there's a lot of stuff that's probably not right. So always to be aware of like the colonizer's place in these stories. <laughs> Definitely. Yep. Anybody can put anything on a damn internet. So some there are some things out there that are like, oh, she poisoned her husband. But most of the the more reliable articles that I was looking at and like the encyclopedias did not imply that. So I'm not going to assume that she poisoned her husband. But he was getting sicker and sicker. Apparently on July 27th, 1828, in a fit of delirium, which either could have been caused by malaria or blackwater fever or potentially also apparently the excessive consumption of rum, he kills himself. Wow. Not all the sources said he killed himself, but the one source I thought was one of the best ones said that, so I'm saying it. And, and apparently he dies in the company of two very trusted courtiers who were people who were like big fans of the nephew that was going to inherit his throne. Hmm. But they were kind of worried that they were going to get a bunch of flack when they announced his death, so they like keep it a secret for a couple days because they're really worried about because of, because this is obviously as we've sort of already touched on slightly that like between the royal family and opposition, there's a lot of like dethroning, deceding, and like power struggles between them all, right? So so their concerns are probably very gotta get all your yeah gotta get all your ducks in a row before How, you tell everyone. How, however, the two days that they wait gives some time to to the heroine of our story. Mm-hmm. So they don't report the death, but there's this military officer named Andrea Mamba who discovers the truth that the king is dead. And he's one of the supporters of Ramavo. And he collaborates with all these other officers to help support Ramava's claim to the throne. And they hide away Ramava and her friends in this in some sort of safe location. And then they go and they support some like really key figures in the power structure. So they go and they they get like some judges. They have what they're what, what are called keepers of the Sampi, which are the royal idols that you know that they worship. The, so the keepers of the Sampi, they like align all these officers, judges, all these like religious people, and they rally the army behind her. And then on August eleventh, eighteen twenty eight, she declares herself the successor to Radama. 
on the pretense that he himself decreed it. But because oh. there was all the support that had been rallied, they kind of... Wow. I mean, who's going to challenge all of that? The army. Yeah. The army, the judges, the religious order, they like couldn't do shit. Damn, they, I mean, they had to have wow. already sort of liked her as a leader. Like, you don't just convince them, like, how about you support her instead? There's lots of interesting, this is kind of speculation I'm drawing from kind of the facts here, but there definitely was, like, a very pro, like, progressive, pro-European, Radama, that was Radama and his greatest supporters, and Ramavo is more conservative, and a lot of these leader, these other guys that kind of rally around her turn out to be kind of the super conservative type as well. So politically, I think it makes mm. sense that they backed her. Conservative as in, like, preserve all of the Malagasy traditions? Yes, preserve the Madagascar, the Malagasy traditions. Like, we want our slavery back, we want our blah, blah, blah. Like, all of these sure. old traditions that were starting to go away because of the Europeans and the Christians. Right. Because even in the Ranavalana third story, like, this, slavery was still... They still had it. Right. And it was just, like, slowly fading out. Right. Well, yeah, because so, okay. it comes and goes partially because of... Right. <laughs> Ranavalana the first year. <laughs> Depending on who the leader is and what exactly. their feelings are. Exactly. So so yeah. so politically it, it makes sense. So she decrees that she is the new queen. She takes the throne and her throne name is Ranavalana, which um, means either folded or kept inside. And then in keeping with tradition of her people, she puts to death all of the king's closest relatives, including Rakatobe, who is the heir to the throne, the nephew, um, and all of the king's cousins and brothers and the queen mother. And apparently, oh, wow. and apparently this is a super gross fact, but because it, it was against the law to spill royal blood, so in order to kill them, they either had to strangle them or starve them to death. <laughs> oh, jeez, brutal. But, wow. but apparently this, this tradition is actually incredibly common in terms of like how they handle transfers of power uh -huh. because there is so much like of so you want to like get rid of your opposition and so you right. don't have opposition and so you have support. I mean, like ending the bloodline yeah apparently this particular fact at this point in the timeline is not that weird <laughs> um i love this little paragraph i found in an article that talks about her coronation it says that quote wearing a massive crown lined with red velvet and sporting seven golden spear points topped with a gold bird which is the royal malagasy emblem ramava ascended to the throne taking the royal name of Ranavalana. That's um pretty sexy. Ooh. That's a pretty sexy coordinate. That wow. sounds like that sounds like it came from the the same website that was one of the sources I used, but it was like heavy focus on the clothing. <laughs> Fashion. It's important it was, to Yeah, them. it was like a fashion magazine website, and they were like, we're going to talk about Ranavalana the Third. But she was also rightfully, like, she was obsessed with French fashion, so that makes sense. Yeah. That crown sounds intense, though. Oh, definitely. Spoiler alert Ranavalana does not care for French fashion. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, two days before the funeral of her husband, she issues a, a revised code of laws which is based on the legal traditions of the Hova tribe, which is her tribe that she came from. And it's the beginning of this huge shift back to Malagasy roots. One of the articles, so I found some conflicting information, but it's worth like noting that apparently the Malagasy had at some point in their ancient history had been a matrilineal society, which means that it, it was a maternal society. But because of the 
the increasing European influence, the royal family had recently switched to a patrilineal succession. Sounds about right. Uh, sounds like white But people. then I found another article that said the opposite, and so I don't know what the truth is anymore, and I'm losing my mind. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it is an interesting thing to think about because not all societies are patrilineal, are, are a patriarchy. There are very many. And I have right. a friend, my friend um, Dawn, she has a whole podcast about Make, make the Matriarchy Great Again, which I love. <laughs> yes. um, but it talks a lot about the ancient societies that were um, matrilineal, which is just so fascinating, and how little war happened in mm-hmm. those societies. Ugh, interesting. So well, look at that. Interesting. But due to these weird switches and the, the patriarchy getting its little sticky fingers all in the Malagasy, apparently, to secure her position, Rana Valana declared herself to be a member of the male sex, which, like, really complicated remarriage and, like, how to handle that. And so they decided, like, okay, well, the queen can't remarry, but she could have lovers, and any of the offspring they, they ha- she had would be declared a child of the dead king. Which, so this sounds so weird, right? That sounds, like, insanely weird. That sounds like she or he was, like, trying to trying to be trans. I Except that not. Like, she didn't. But right. just for power? She didn't. Yeah. yeah, it was a power. It was, like, a power. It was right. um, it, to seal the power It's not so much down. a gender thing. Just, like, I want to be seen and treated as a man because you all are respecting men more anyway. They only said this in one of the articles, but I still think it's so interesting, so I wanted to mention it. But the actual native Malagasy people actually loved that concept because it implied that the spirit of the deceased king was still watching over them and that he returned to his queen's bedchamber at night. Super creepy, but also kind of cool. And But any of the, it doesn't end up playing out. She ends up getting married later, so I'm not sure if that was like just like in the moment to seal the power down. Oh yeah, also, I'm a man, so I can do this. But she wasn't, she didn't call herself trans, she didn't dress like a man, right. she didn't do... Right, right, right. Just said, treat me like one. So she immediately also, you know, she passes all these laws, switching things back, She and she gets right to work making Europeans feel less welcome in Madagascar. <laughs> Boom, take that. I mean... In November, so her husband dies in July, and so in November, she refuses to grant an interview to the British ambassador, and she invalidates the Anglo-Malagasy Treaty of Friendship, which her husband had signed. And she also immediately reinstates slavery as a social and economic institution <sighs> you I win mean, some you lose some you can't you can't not it can't all be good they don't actually call it in um madagascar at that period they don't call it slavery they call it um which is i think translates to forced labor as tax payment so people who like couldn't pay their taxes had to work it off um i'm calling it slavery for better understanding because because that's what it is. Right. Yeah. So um, anyway, so so with the reinstallation of Fanampuana, she ends up getting all this new labor. She ends up building the armies. She ends up growing the army to like, it's uh, between 20 and 30,000 marina soldiers, they call them. Was military service a potential job as a slave or as a whatever they called it? It didn't seem like it. It seemed like in the articles I saw that people like willingly signed up like you do, you know, like not so much a draft, but also it might have changed throughout her reign. So maybe not at right. the beginning, but maybe towards the end it was. 
Um, so she expands the, she expands the, the soldiers and she sends the soldiers out to try to unify the island and you know defeat all these other areas that had not subjected to their rule yet. They also the army like really harshly punished communities that resisted them. So they would do a ton of mass executions. People who were spared were brought back as slaves. Their valuables were seized and their wealth increased the the wealth of the crown. Between 1820 and 1853, approximately 1 million slaves entered Imarina is what they call their their um, region that they the region that they rule. And that was like one third of the total population of the center central highlands of the island and two-thirds of all residents in one of the big cities. That's like a lot of fucking people. That's a lot of fucking wow. slaves. That is a lot of slaves. That ratio. Damn. It sounds like a scary time. Like, this is, I'd be freaking out if you were like on the out, like the villages on the outs, being like, all right, this is like gentrification, but like the horror version of yeah. it. Oh, yeah. It's like, if you don't submit, you'll be a slave. But if you submit, you'll probably be a slave. <laughs> It's not quite gentrification because it's like this return to the roots. So it's not like colonization. But they were warring tribes anyway. You know, they were warring tribes anyway. Right. And it's just, mm-hmm. it's complicated. It's just like, we're coming to get you and we're changing things and you have no choice. Exactly. <laughs> yep. yep. She, she doesn't win all the battles though. She do, At one point she tries to expand the kingdom into this, into the Sakalava tribe. But it backfires because the Sakalavas, they go to the French and they're like, yo, you got to protect us. And so France sends a, a force to meet them. And Ranavalana sends an army of about 14,000 soldiers to meet them. And they're defeated pretty bad. And the, and the, the French do continue to occupy two small islands, Nosy Bay and St. Marie. But at that point, Ranavalana is fucking pissed as fuck at Europe. And this is this like begins kind of her like real rage against the machine the machine being europe (laughs) (laughs) she does get pregnant in the same year lots happens in this first year of her 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 reign she gives birth to a son and heir rakoto in september of 1829 the father of the Bebe is this guy named Adrian Mihaja, and he was kind of like the leader of her court's progressive faction. So he was still kind of like from the Radama days, and he favored maintaining relations with Europe. But there's this other conservative faction led by these two brothers named uh, Ranimaharo and Rainiharo. And Ranaharo is the official guardian of one of those, the, the royal Sampi, the idols. And they both are like... One of the articles, I didn't see the story in all the articles, but one, one of the articles was like, these brothers were like, oh, we got to get this guy out of here. He's a little bit too liberal, a little bit too progressive for us. These two brothers apparently get her really, really wasted and convince her to sign his death warrant, her new husband's death warrant. They charge him with witchcraft and treason. And he's immediately captured Whoa. and killed. Oh my God. Madagascar. And then pretty quickly, Rainey Haro, the one brother, he's quite the opportunist. He jumps right into the queen's bed and becomes her number one lover and eventually her next husband. <laughs> Whoa. So they were this certainly opportunists, politics. knowing how this power game works, and they mm-hmm. made it uh, work to their advantage. When you play the Game of Thrones, you win or you die. It feels a little bit like that. <laughs> <laughs> What an insane time to be in that court. Oh, man. Uh, it was interesting. I'm kind of inserting these like little facts as I can. But 
Apparently, one of a lot of the royal policy was decided by using these divination boards, which they called sikidi, and they were these boards, and you threw beans onto it, and then there's this mathematical combination that they divine from the beans, and that's how they made a lot of really important decisions. So this is definitely like going back to like the tribal Malagasy roots and like the more mm. super interesting. Wow. Also. Strangely enough, at this period of time, we have the entrance of this young Frenchman. <laughs> Here we go. Uh-oh. His name is Jean Laborde, and he is shipwrecked. He's, he's like searching for shipwrecks himself, and then he gets shipwrecked. He sounds like an idiot. <laughs> well, he's caught in a storm. And his name is Jean Laborde. <laughs> he didn't have nothing else to do. <laughs> By royal decree, all castaways are automatically the property of the crown. So they bring him to the palace, this giant wood structure. Um, Apparently also that that palace, 15,000 slaves died in the construction of it. 15,000? Madagascar is some dark shit here. So he is brought to the palace and it was customary to bring a gift for the queen and you had to present a gift in pairs. So Laborde brings her two Mexican dollars. A Frenchman. And he addresses her always as either Great Glory or Great Lake supplying all the water. Um, And apparently, Ranavana was like, okay, okay, you seem like an okay dude. And pretty soon, like, they... He ends up signing a contract with the government to start manufacturing rifles and cannons for them because they had this modern, like, you know, Radma had brought in, like, more of the European weaponry, but they didn't really want to trade with Europe anymore, but they still wanted that technology. And Laborde is like, I could do that for you. And he becomes kind of this, like, industrial manufacturer for... (laughs) for Ranavalana's government, which is kind of, this is like an insanely weird story, right? (laughs) Wow. So he just gets, she gets shipwrecked, looking for shipwrecks. She doesn't kill him. And instead he's like, hey, look, I'm, because how, what did you, what did you say he presented again? Two Mexican Mexican dollars. dollars. I mean. I mean, failing up. Talk about failing up. Talk about failing up. And eventually, so he signs his contract to manufacture rifles and cannons. Eventually, he ends up employing like 10,000 islanders. And they make everything from like cloth to soap and rum and sugar and like other luxuries. And apparently him him and Ranavana like have like a tolerable working relationship. He like knows her kid and they're like buddies. There was one thing, technology-wise, though, that Ranavalana absolutely forbid, and that was the making of roads. So she did not want them because she saw roads as an aid to potential invaders. As if Europeans came in, she thought roads would, like, really help them. And that's literally what happened, like, when in the the Ranavalana third story, like... France came in, built roads to the capital, and then were able to take over everything. Hey, yeah. So that's some, that's some prescient thinking. Apparently, when she wanted to make a trek across the country, she traveled with a big group of slaves that would build the road in front of her and erect an entire town to sleep in at night for the journey, and then they would abandon the town in the morning. Such a strange use of resources. That's so <laughs> fucking cool. I mean, what do you do when you can do whatever the fuck yeah, you want? Take just bring the town with us, set it back up, and then take it down and bring yeah. it with wow. us. 
What town? That's what we should still be doing that today. So roads were only made for specifically for the queen's travels. <laughs> wow, that is some badassery. I just picture it like in the cartoon where it's like they have a train track and the train's barreling forward and they're running out of track and so they pick up the track from the back yes! and they put it in the front <laughs> I, and they have to just keep doing that. That's exactly what I that. imagined as I read that. I was like, that's so, that's so weird and so funny. I mean, except they probably died, you know, a lot of them along the way. Oh, definitely. Because <laughs> you gotta you gotta run up ahead of everybody, put the track down, run back to the back, pick up some more track. <laughs> Most certainly. Back. And like a lot of people, we're about to get to this part of the story, but like lots of people die under her reign. For a lot of reasons, one of them being that like she really ran them ragged. They also suffered from a lot of diseases. So people that weren't used to living in like swampier areas, they didn't have like immunity to malaria. And so people right. got like super sick and lots of other stuff too that I'm about to get to. <laughs> but um, in her seventh year of her reign, so at this point she's 43, she gets super, super sick and she's really worried that she's going to die. But she recovers, and she says that the reason that she recovered was because of her devotion to her ancestors, which are like these idols, like these objects that she like carried and prayed over, like talisman kind of. And it kind of starts like even a, a further spiral out, a, a, a further spiral away from like the European influence, but specifically anti-Christianity. She, on February 20, 26, 1835, she makes this announcement and she says, all missionaries must respect the cultural traditions of the Malagasy and they must stop baptizing Malagasians. Mm. Wow. But that doesn't really work. People kind of, the Christians just kind of kept baptizing people and her... That sounds like Christians. And there was a fair amount of like... Like, there were a lot of Malagasians that were into Christianity. Like, people were converting and they were liking it. And so, Ranavalana eventually just bans the practice of Christian, wor Christian worship altogether. And all the missionaries are expelled from Madagascar in June of 1835. And all of the mission schools are closed. Take it. She's taking it back. So, she starts to get rid of the missionaries and, like, there's, like, a huge shift from where she was trying to kind of bring back and embrace the old Malagasy culture into this, like, huge round of Christian perse persecution. So, on uh, August of 1836, Radha orders the first execution of a Christian convert who is a 37-year-old woman named Rasalama. And she's speared to death and her body is hurled from a cliff where dogs and carrion pick the corpse clean. Many of the converts, even the highest ranking ones, were enslaved, they were burned at the stake, they were dismembered, they were starved to death, boiled alive, flayed, stoned, and all with this like new, like severely tribal legal system that she's kind of like put in place at this point, basically any subject in the kingdom could, was liable to a trial by ordeal, and they were forced to ingest poison. And there's this like poisonous nut. There was this like super strange tradition where they would feed you the poison and they would feed you three chicken skins at the same time. And if you barfed up all of the chicken skins, you were innocent. But if you died, that meant you were guilty. And so there's like, I yeah, there's some like 
some of these tribal traditions wow. are like super intense. Wow. So they like well, anybody could be like, "Oh, are you guilty or not? Here's some poison. Let's find out and eat these chicken skins." And who knows? And people like paranoia was uh, like the whole kingdom and the whole court was like, like super paranoid. It became like this huge reign of terror. And she had this like really uh, prodigious secret service team to help protect her. And by 1845, all Europeans were, there were no trading privileges at all. The interior of the country was basically cut off from anybody that was not a local. And if they stayed, if they wouldn't leave, they would be forced to be, they would be forced into labor. So people, she did at least say like, hey, if you leave within a fortnight, you're safe. But if you don't leave, you're going to become our slaves. So most people, anybody who was left in the country was like, okay, see ya, because this is like fucking crazy. She also apparently started throwing exotic galas in the palace every couple of months. And they would all dress up and and do these crazy parties and people would just like outrageous behavior. And it just keeps getting, it, it like it's worse and worse and worse and worse. Then there's this interesting story about her son. So her son got to be such great buddies with our Frenchman. He started to kind of like wish that things were like a little more European friendly because he didn't like his mom's like reign of terror. So... In January of 1854, the prince, her son, writes a secret letter to Napoleon III. <laughs> and he asks the emperor to send a military expedition to Madagascar to depose all the advisors that are supporting his mother. Nothing comes of this. That, like, Napoleon is, like, really busy in Crimea and Mexico and doing other shit around the world. And so they don't answer the call. But eventually the plot is discovered. And immediately, Ranavalana expels all Europeans, confiscates everybody's possessions, and she also confiscates Le Jean Laborde's factories. Her son is spared because he's like her favorite favorite, obviously. <laughs> and they're like, oh, he's just an inexperienced young man. He didn't know what he was doing. He had some bad advice. But at this point, the queen is like, if there were any sympathy in her left for anybody, it's like, no. From here on out, it's like, all the articles are like, she's the Iron Fist now. now oh, now she's the Iron <laughs> Fist? Now. No. Oh, okay. And, any, and, crossed and over. at this point, like, anybody at all who even dissents her opinion, like, in the court, like an advisor, and dead, right? So she just becomes a full-on crazy cult leader. Like a like, massive dictator. Like a... I would call her, I would like Gander to say tyrant. I feel like tyrant yeah, okay. is like the closest yeah, I'm word. That, I'm getting that vibe. Is this what you thought you were getting when you started doing this research? Ooh, it's just, they said the bloodiest. They the said bloodiest. The bloodiest queen. She rules for 33 years. Oh my gosh. So during her reign, the population of Madagascar, which starts at 5 million, is reduced to 2.5 million. Holy shit. Half of the Half wow. of Madagascar is decimated by her. Slash leaves. So so some okay. Christians and things right. left, but like half the population is either killed or or flees. Wow. That's that's massive. That's crazy. I'd leave too. There were ton, like a ton of plots to assassinate her and stuff like that. She manages to foil them all and avoid them all. It seems like she dies of, of natural causes, like she wasn't like assassinated or anything like that. But she's just generically known as Ranavalana Rana the Cruel. And, you know, I'll repeat what I said earlier in the podcast. It's 
Like, these stories are also written by the Christians that were persecuted by her. And so I feel like, you know, we can call her a tyrant, we can think a lot of things about her, but she did return this strong cultural, um, this, lo this love of the, the culture, the Malagasy culture. She did bring it back at a time where it was kind of quickly kind of being overrun by all the Europeans that were coming in. And so, you know, some of, I think now that we're in like a more colonial awareness time period, I think that people question more so kind of the tone of some of these articles about her. Mm -hmm. But the fact that the popula population was halved is, is definitely not a factor in her, <laughs> in her favor Either. in terms of right. her it's role. not in the prose column. No, yeah. definitely not. So Ooh. now, you know, I made so much fun of Rana Valen of the third for being such a, <laughs> a Francophile, <laughs> but she, she seemed like such a, such a nicer queen. <laughs> yeah. It, it's honestly, it's, it's weird to me that she chose Rana Valina as her queen name given that this was where it started. Like, maybe she didn't have a choice. Maybe she was still scared. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> but I, Or maybe it's just like the the way that people in the royal family viewed her was more like, well, she is the one who brought our traditions back. So if that's... Well, there is supposedly a run of Alana the second, and we don't know what she was like because we haven't done a that's podcast true. about her. So it's that's possible that the whole, second did a lot, a, whole a lot different of a job. <laughs> I'll do it. <laughs> You'll do the second? Yeah, all I right. think that'll be fair. I'll do the second and we'll do have all three done. And then we'll have we'll have so much context. Holy shit. Like, can you even? No. So from my like random Googling of Run of Island of the Third, here is the bloodiest, the bloodiest queen. The nicest queen of Madagascar followed by the bloodiest queen <laughs> possibly in the history of the world. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Right. Well, I mean, I'm very interested to see like how that bridge that bridge from her to the third, from the first to the third. What happened? Yeah. Who with the, with the second? Well, at some point in that bridge is when the the dudes, the prime ministers, like took over the right. Her the dudes. son. I didn't actually go further beyond her death, but I believe I think that her son does take over, and he is more European friendly and Christian friendly, and I think he actually does convert right. to Christianity. <laughs> Woo! Yeah. Like he was definitely heavily influenced by Jean Laborde. Like, he really liked him, and they were, like, buddies, and, like, maybe he was a, even hey. kind of a father figure of some kind or something. Mm. But yeah. it seems like there's a really interesting toggle politically between the people that liked the Europeans and liked all the trading and liked all the, the benefits that came with being friends with Europe versus the people who really hated. So it seems like there's just a lot of, like, back and forth in their history, which is it's just very interesting. So That is fascinating. Wow. So what do you think? Rana Valina the third, the first? This is the first. <laughs> yeah. Rana Valina the first. Don't, yeah, don't, say, don't accidentally don't say twisted. third. Right. Very different people. Rod, you should right. know. Are we glad we know who she is? I'm very glad I know who she is. Absolutely. I think it, yeah, but I mean, I'm, am I glad she existed? I'm conflicted. Did what she did. <laughs> Super I mean, conflicted. Who? Not just boys. Not just But boys. you know what? It's good to talk about conflicting people in history. Because I think it helps Jinx. us understand things more widely and deeply. Definitely. You know? Well, thank you all for listening. Thanks for bringing all that. Yeah. yeah. I thank you guys for being a great audience always. If you really like this episode of Rana Valina the first, we do have an episode about Rana Valina the third. We also have some other broads you might be interested in too. We've got, well, Olga of Kiev is the first that comes to mind. Sure. We also have Empress Dowager Zhishi in China. She was kind of a badass 
uh, intense ruler. Definitely. Who else we got? Who else should we should we put out there? In terms of like bloody, yeah, rulers, you skimmed over Olga. Like, I feel like Chang you just uh, Olga is probably the probably the best one to comes to mind. I feel like Olga is the competitor for this. Yeah, with the pigeons and the fire. I mean, definitely. <laughs> uh, uh, Olga did some brutal shit. Right. Yeah. Pin these two against each other. Like I Olga. Olga was battle. also like Game of Thrones source material. So yeah. For yeah, sure. I would say definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to that one if you like this one. And if you need to cleanse your palate and if you need to, you know, digest like a, a more friendly uh, African leader, we have Chief Teresa Kachimodo. Uh, Kachindamoto. Kachindamoto. Oh, I always say it wrong. That's a that's a very different story. Very Because she, she, she shows up and eradicates a bunch of brad, bad practices. But I still like so, her. I love her. Yeah. <laughs> palate cleanser oh we also we also might be interested if you like all the the bloody violence you might like our ching shi episode the pirate queen because she was um pretty brutal herself so so there you go yeah thanks so much for listening check out the other broads we've got we've got a whole database of broad if you want to see the other women that we've covered um broads you should know.com is where all that info is and we have a form you can submit abroad if there's someone you think we ought to know there's nothing i love more than having someone tell me i gotta look at a, a new woman and then i discover a whole new world that i never knew about before so send us your info leave a review uh we love reviews it really helps our podcast we do love reviews and share us with your friends if you like these episodes if they're interesting to you share away because more people want to hear these stories than you think everyone loves stories about awesome badass women and also villainous women Women. sometimes we like well sarah specifically really likes fullness women <laughs> <laughs>